Welcome to the Using the Whole Whale podcast, where we learn from leaders about new ideas and digital strategies making a difference in the social impact world. This podcast is a proud production of Whole Whale, a B Corp digital agency. Thank you for joining us. Now, let's go learn something. This week on the Whole Whale podcast, we have someone who's also a fellow podcaster out there. She runs Mission Impact Podcast, Carol Hamilton, principal of Grace Social Sector Consulting, also a member of Nonprofit Ist. So we have been connected for a little while. I've heard your many takes on strategic planning, and I wanted to have you on so we could just ask you a bunch of questions. But first, how's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. Thanks. How long have you been in the podcasting game? Well, actually, it's three years, three years. Mm -hmm. So the podcast that releases next week will be number 85. I know you do yours on a much faster clip than me, but I'm, I'm proud that I'm, I'm heading towards 100. Oh, uh, the 100 mark. You should, you, I used 100 or 200. I forget which one. I, I made some special requests. I think I got Seth Godin on for one of them. I was like, all right, oh, wow. here's the thing. I've been trying really hard for a real long time. And like people, people, uh, you can, you can go after some big, uh, big name guests for that, uh, that milestone moment. All right. Well, I will have to think about that for my 100 and then, then, you know, start planning for 200. And then you're also a part of the nonprofitist network. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, I love the community that uh, Heather Yando's put together, and it's just a great group of nonprofit consultants. Love coming together and and just sharing the insights that we all have from working with the clients that we do. And I just really appreciate the common approach that folks take in terms of really wanting to be in partnership with nonprofits to support them as they pursue their missions. So it's a great community for sure. Yeah, we certainly we certainly have a lot of fun on the camaraderie side for sure. And then knowing that there's like a trusted network like yourself when somebody needs a strategic plan and you know, just sort of reading reading from your bio and the the other work you do helping with that strategic planning, impact mapping, service audits. I thought you'd be someone perfect to talk about and this is the way I like to frame sometimes like what I hate to do it, but like the mistakes, right? Because people come to you now because they're like crushing it, but what and maybe we can break this down. We're going to break this down. The five biggest strategic planning mistakes nonprofits make. Uh, can you give me a, a sort of top number? With, with, yeah, with top for sure. Charts here? I think the one that comes to mind most frequently is, is one that's really at the kind of tail end of the process of organizations that don't don't do a good job of actually operationalizing the plan. But I actually like to start at the beginning with a mistake that organizations can make around not starting with a big enough group involved. So I think there's been an approach or kind of traditionally held, especially as organizations get bigger or, or more sophisticated, that it's the job of the senior leadership and the board and maybe even the board exclusively to do strategic planning and set the strategic direction for the organization with this kind of mindset that the board is kind of the head 
literally the head of the the organization and you know the staff or its body the one that kind of implements what the what the head envisions and i just don't buy into that much of a dichotomy between roles i do think that there's a different you know that that staff and board have different roles in the organization and in the strategic planning process and I also don't believe that that just by being in a leadership team or on a board that people are kind of endowed with special strategic powers. So I like to really have it be a more open and participatory process to really bring everyone's voices into the process. And I think it makes it makes leaders nervous because they're afraid that it's just going to be this cacophony that, you know, it will be really difficult to come to alignment, come to uh, agreement about what's really important to move the organization forward. Um, and I've found that that's not necessarily the case. I've found that there's always, you know, there's always some variation of how people see things, but it's often they're real focused on what is actually like 20% variation, where 80% people are across the board in all the different roles are actually in agreement of what the what are the big challenges facing the organization what do they need to to work on so i find that it's much less of a that i try to help or leaders see that they don't need to be afraid of pulling people in and also being clear who's ultimately going to be making the final decisions who who has the role of approving the plan that's the board that's great but bringing everybody in because ultimately it's it's all those folks who are going to need to put it into action. And so having them be part of the conversation will help them understand, you know, why we're, why did we prioritize these three things and, and really get behind the plan to actually put it into action and, and do that oper operationalizing that, that can be such a tricky piece as well. Mm -hmm. I like it. So our first biggest strategic planning mistake is sort of the head only approach instead of the right. head shoulders knees and toes knees right. and toes <laughs> pulling like in to our take staff. a holistic approach a whole whole organization approach uh to the to the plan and i do think you know there is there is a difference at different levels of the organization and oftentimes it has to do with kind of folks time frames that they're thinking about like if you're frontline, uh, depending on your role, you may be thinking about what's what am I doing today? What, what's happening this week? You know, if you're in a manager role, you may be thinking, you know, what's happening over the next uh, three to six months as we're planning on a project. And as you go up the organization, there's certainly a different time horizon. But I think you need all of those perspectives to really come up with a solid plan that everyone's going to be able to get behind. Yeah, that makes complete sense. All right. I'm curious now we're rolling what's the number two number two mistake for strategic planning well i think the big one is that failing to operationalize and people can get real excited about a plan and part of it is actually couples with a, another mistake that i see organizations making which is making both the process and the plan itself too complicated. So you joked before we got on the call of the 37 page plan that nobody reads and nobody references and, you know, used to be in a big fat binder sitting on the shelf. And now, you know, if the same equivalent will get lost in your, you know, your shared drive somewhere. So keeping it simple, having a three to five, you know, two to three page 
plan, if going into that kind of next level of the implementation plan, only planning out for like six months to a year, not trying to nail down the all the stuff for the entire time frame. All of those things help making it actually putting putting it into action, doing that implementation, operationalizing it easier. And I think another big thing around oper I'm struggling with that word today, operationalizing. <laughs> is really looking at, rather than adding new things, how can you integrate the plan, checking in on the plan, how are you going to monitor, monitor progress and all of that? How can you integrate that into things you're already doing? Regular meetings you already have, regular ways that you already do your planning, you know, integrating it with your budgeting processes, all these processes that you already have in the organization, how can you integrate it? into those practices versus adding on yet another thing to do. So that would be another thing that I would recommend to kind of avoid some of those mistakes. Yeah, I'm going to bucket this one under the uh, planning to collect dust plan problem. Yeah, don't do that. That's that. I think that's the thing that makes everyone kind of roll their eyes when they hear strategic planning. Or, you know, I always talk to when I'm talking to a new client, what has your experience been in the past to see if they have got some strategic planning recovery that they need to do from pre previous bad experiences. And, and it's those wasted efforts that people think, well, why, why do we even bother? My answer to that is, if you're not ever taking the time to step back and kind of think about where you are and where you want to be, you're always reacting. And so, or you're just, it's all business as usual. Things don't, you don't have that chance to kind of take a bigger look and step back and get a perspective. So. All right. What's number three? What do we have next? I would say really there's a there's a push pull in planning between being visionary and being realistic. And so I think one mistake another mistake is really when you end up with this kind of pie in the sky plan that that sounds wonderful on paper but doesn't in any way really connect to the current capacity of the organization. And if it is, you know, if you do have some really aspirational and stretch arenas within the plan, making sure that you have are, that you're clear about how are you going to get from here to there and how are you going to build your capacity to match those aspirations so i think that's the other thing that people fear in planning is when you know it just it's so pie in the sky that you know it just doesn't connect with today's reality and Today, I mean, folks are so stretched right now. If it's only about all the new things we're going to do uh, versus how are we going to refine what we do or go deeper or let go of some things, then again, it just was like it, it doesn't feel, you know, it doesn't feel doable. Yeah, in my mind, there's this wish list versus to do list versus don't do list. And right. if you're only dancing in one circle, you're probably headed toward problem number two is planning to collect dust. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So all of them end up, all of the mistakes I feel like end up in the planning to that collect, the plan that collects dust. <laughs> all roads lead to like. <laughs> all the roads. So we're really trying dust. to have the road, try to have the roads not lead to that. Yeah, I think some other ones are, you know, in that implementation process, taking the time to think about how are we taking this bigger picture plan that doesn't have any more than three to five goals. I would say another mistake is the plan that has seven to nine goals. No, no organization can focus on that many things at once. So keeping it simple three to five, and then 
how are we actually, what are we going to focus on in year one? And then in that implementation or oper operationalizing plan, that's where you get into the Susie's going to do it by quarter three and work with the you know development committee on that. So the who does what by when kind of thing, but not worrying about who's going to do what by when in year three or year five, because nobody can predict where you're going to be, who's going to be there and what you will have needed to have changed. Mm -hmm. So just to summarize, number four is having the too many goals up front. Too many goals. Violating the three to five. And number five is not identifying who does what when in the first year. Well, keeping it to just the first six months, first year, mm -hmm. whatever makes sense in terms of the organization's planning processes. So that'll go back to that. How do we already do things? Do we plan on a quarterly basis? Do we plan on a six month basis? Are we doing annual work plans? What are we already doing? And then how do we integrate it into that? But not doing what I've seen where we get into those really kind of those thick binder plans where we're trying to say exactly what we're going to do in, in year five. Don't don't bother. Don't waste time doing that. I always find it hilarious when I see folks trying to plan out that far in the future when you can't tell me what the weather in your backyard is going to be next week. I mean, if. If the pandemic didn't teach us anything, I would have hoped <laughs> that would have that that would teach us that. I mean, so I think there's also kind of this misconception that strategic planning is about predicting the future, which is not. But it is setting your intentions for what where you want to go in the future so that you're not just being reactive to everything's going that's going on around you. How often would you say an organization should, you know, revisit, revise, rebuild that strategic plan? Well, I think there's different levels of that revision. So I would say, you know, generally when I'm working with organizations, it's a, you know, kind of that three to five year time frame that I've been talking about. So that's kind of mid-range planning. But then in terms of looking at the plan and making updates, revisions, that could be on that, you know, whatever you decide the cadence is that makes sense for your organization, whether it's that quarterly check-in, six months, one year that you're asking a couple questions around, you know, what have we gotten done? You know, what what do we still need to get done? What no longer makes sense for us to do? Or, and what have we done that we didn't expect? So, you know, folks who had maybe just finished up their strategic plan in, in January of 2020, probably had a lot of new things that they en un ended up doing when they did their check-in a quarter later, or, you know, six months later to, and. I feel like a lot of people just ended up saying I, we have to throw the entire plan out. I don't think that was probably true in most cases, but there may have been things that all needed to be adjusted because of what was going on. So having a way and having an agreed upon process for doing that check in and not, a, you know, not thinking that, well, the board voted on it, so we can't possibly change anything. Going back to that proverbial, it's a living yeah. document, like making that real in the organization without, you know, completely rewriting the plan every quarter. That that wouldn't make sense either. But so you're kind of finding that Goldilocks spot between we need to be flexible and adaptive, but we also want to kind of set our course and keep moving forward so that we're building on on our on all the previous work that we've done before. It seems like that moment of annual review goal setting is a maybe good time to take out the the old red line and say, hey, what part of this plan is still realistic versus not? 
yeah, and sometimes it's just we need to move these dates out. You know, we didn't get as much done. It took longer. It, took, it was harder than we thought. There were more steps involved than we thought. Or it could be, you know, this thing that we thought we should do isn't, you know, we, we've gone through the first iteration and it's just not making sense. So let's, you know, let's drop it. I'm curious, what percent of nonprofits do you think have the ideal operationalized strategic plan right now? I have no idea, <laughs> but I can't say that it's probably it's probably not a huge number. I mean, if 80 percent of the uh, field is smaller organizations, I think it can be challenging for the real small organizations to one, take the time to do the planning and then to like keep it top of mind and and have those systems and processes to really, you know, keep it integrated into what they're doing. And I think those small organizations can also really, it can be a really valuable process and can be easier because you have fewer people involved. But yeah, I I don't think there's probably a high percentage that are that have it to that level. And which is why, again, why people kind of roll their eyes when they hear strategic planning. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wouldn't that be nice, but wouldn't I'm that be nice trying to solve for tomorrow to plan for the next year. But sadly it seems like a sword that cuts you twice in the exactly. sense that I don't have enough. So I have to keep working hard so that I could have a plan so that I could have more when in fact taking that, sort of pause to reflect and, and, and plan might help you objectively look at the the do's, the don'ts, and the wish lists that comprise something that should be guiding you and your work. Yeah, exactly. And I think it also, it gives the whole group a chance to have conversations that bring what they're hoping for with the organization out onto the table and out, you know, into the room. One of the things that, you know, I, I always do when I'm working with clients is, which a lot of consultants do in lots of different processes, do some kind of assessment at the beginning where I'm talking to people and then I bring back to them what they've told me, right, in a synthesized form. And usually there's kind of a sense of relief of, oh, people are actually more in agreement than we thought about where we should be headed. And mostly, you know, because it's what they've told me, it's not, shouldn't be a lot of surprises of what, what I'm telling them. And, okay, I've totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> and uh, that's a... why strategic plans matter. Because suddenly you're halfway through your sentence and the rest of the words just aren't there. I'm uh, Then you can go back to your plan and see what you're supposed to have said. Where was I again? Because we're human. Uh, I'm leaving all of that in, by the way. <laughs> For strategic plans, like you're sitting here wondering, you made this comment that most organizations, yeah, 70, 75% of organizations operate under $1 million with regard to the nonprofit 501c3s in the US. How long does a strategic plan process take? Well, I think it, it, it can be short and it can be long, but it depends longer. Uh, it depends on how many other things you have going on at the same time. If you have too many things going on at the same time, I usually can, you know, advise people to not try to do all of them. Uh, you know, you've, you've just launched a capital campaign or, you know, you you're in the midst of some other kind of big transition, not a great time to do a plan because you need to be able to focus in, but 
You know, I think I think for a smaller organization, not as many people involved, it can be anywhere from, you know, a couple months to at most six months. And it, a lot of it just ends up it takes longer because it takes that long to get everyone scheduled and get everyone in the same room just with everything people have going on. But having a chance to talk to everybody and then it because it's not just about a retreat. There's other things that you need to do so that the group is ready for that retreat and can, you know, has a basis to to really have their conversation. And and that's that beginning process where I'm as a consultant talking to all the folks and doing a survey, doing focus groups, doing interviews, whatever ends up being the you know appropriate for the the situation. Mm-hmm. I I'm always just curious, and you don't have to answer this question. How much should an organization, let's say with an operating budget under a million dollars, expect to spend to do a strategic plan, strategic plan process? I mean, I feel like that's a little bit impossible to uh, answer because I guess in some ways it depends on are they paying for it themselves or are they getting grant funding? You can write into a grant funding. You're like, all right, you know. to, get, to and support, the is, what do I put in my grant funding? Well, how long is a piece of string? In this case, I'm asking you, how long is a piece of string? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've seen a string. You know, you could have, you could do strategic planning, get someone to help you out with it pro bono. Up to, I've seen, uh, you know, RFPs for strategic planning up to two hundred thousand dollars. But obviously, there you go. an organization Three that's two hundred thousand dollars—that's how much a strategic plan costs. Uh, but it's important to note that it you know, the, the details matter. And as you said, look, if it's six months of work, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of meetings. What are you looking to get out of uh, that project? I would say if you are a $1 million or less operating, don't spend $200,000. I'm don't, firm don't do stating that, that um, for you. Yeah. Uh, that's that, that advice is free. And I mean, there are ways that the, the organization can um, save money. One, they could, you know, look to see if there's somebody that they could get to do it pro bono, who would be a student, for example, who's, you know, studying nonprofit management or something and wanted to try it out for the first time. You're not going to get an expert that way, but that, you know, you get what you pay for. I'm really nervous. So like, can I just be honest? Sure. I'm really, really suspicious of like the pro bono. Like I genuinely believe you get what you pay for. And if we're talking about something like your strategic plan, like what you are guiding toward over the next year plural potentially i'm very nervous sending somebody out there being like go get a student to write this for you um i'd, I'd much well, rather the, you the, the consultant should never it. be writing the plan for the for the client anyway because it's oh, okay i you know the plan is the client's plan the mm-hmm. consultant's job is to help them go through a process so that they can come to agreement about what they're writing in their plan um. But a student might not know that. So a student might come in and do an assessment and give you a bunch of recommendations and then be surprised when nobody wants to do the student's recommendations. So, yeah, you get what you pay for. But other ways that organizations can can look to kind of have it be a little more affordable is to do more of the interviewing themselves. But then you don't have that kind of outside perspective or if there's kind of conflict going on that that if with an outsider, someone may be more willing to say, what isn't going well, then they might be up here. So there's always an upside and a downside to the different different ways to approach it. But it's not just about the retreat, because unless you have the the data 
to support your conversation of where does everyone think the organization is, or you build in time into the retreat to actually do that, which was, means the retreat will be longer. And, and if the day is not well designed, then it's a waste of time for everybody. I've been on enough retreats at this point where the like the goal was like, all right, and we're going to do our strategic planning. And you're just yes, like, and a lot of people have think you've never that been on a retreat before. I'm sorry. Wait until <laughs> people haven't like left the room for three hours and it's lunchtime and then talk to me about trying to write a strategic plan like you just right. Right. And, and, uh, you know, one of the things that I loved about actually doing, doing strategic planning during the pandemic when everything was online and people are wanting to go be back in person again, but, you know, was that you could chunk it out and we do two hours here, 90 minutes there, three hours there. And you didn't have that, you know, right when the retreat, when everyone is exhausted at three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon, and they have no more capacity to think is when you're asking them to actually make decisions. And, and, you know, synthesize and hone down on what you want to do. Well, you can't. And so that's when people walk away with the laundry list of all the ideas that were generated during the retreat. You know, you have to go through that phase of having all those ideas and having that open brainstorming. But you also need a way that you're actually going to hone things down and make some choices. So a facilitator can help you with those things. And so another mistake I see organizations doing when they're trying to save money is, well, our, our board member will do it. Hmm. Great. But then they can't be in the conversation. So which role are you asking them to play? Or a staff member will do it, you know, be the facilitator. And again, it means they can't really be part of the process. And, you know, how are they doing it with everything else they have to do? So. Yeah. Uh, Possible, but not there. optimal. But I think the. That's like something earlier in my career. I think it was something that was lumped into, yeah, oh, yeah, knock that out at the staff retreat. And I have now come to realize that that is a recipe for, you know, something that ends up being a to-do list, something that ends up being a item on the shelf that collects dust because mm -hmm, it's not done mm -hmm. with the level of thought and space I think you need for thoughts to breathe, to be aggregated, and then pulled together in something that can guide forward. I yeah. don't. I, I like, I feel like I'm tur we're turning people off of saying like, this can be a six month process. Cause you're like, that's half the year. So what? Like, <laughs> like it feels yeah, like it's six long, months, but... but it's, it's, you know, for a strategic planning task force, for example, who, you know, her are working to steward the process, not to make all the decisions. You know, it's a bunch, it's a couple meetings at the front end and a couple meetings at the back end. So for the client, you know, it may take six months, but it's mm -hmm. not, you know, a third of their time for six months, it's, there's a ebb and flow of, of engagement throughout the time. All right. I, I think, uh, I think I almost get it. I think we, at the very least, there are some pitfalls that are easy to walk into, especially getting started. And frankly, most nonprofits operate under that million dollars, which is why I just sort of like press that a bit more on operationalizing and using strategic planning in there. And, um, Anything else that you want to add to our conversation on this topic? 
Well, I mean, we talked about all the mistakes, and so it's easy, like you said, to get discouraged. <laughs> like, why should I even bother right. if all of it's going to go wrong? Good point. So I'd say <laughs> if you want to do have a good process and have it go well, first, yeah, stick to those no more than three to five goals, you know, a short, high-level plan with each of those goals, a couple action steps that all has action verbs in them. And then for each of those action steps, define how your what success looks like so that you know when you've made progress and then have that process for updating and evaluating and have that process for, you know, defining those shorter term tactics that are going to move you forward. So I think all of those things together, plus really having a holistic approach in terms of involvement and participation will make make for a much more successful process. I think you make a good point too about sort of that vision of what success looks like and what that enables you to do, you know, very negative tone of mistakes in doing this. But for me, and I'll let you also toss in a couple, when I look at a strategic plan that is well done, I think it does open up the opportunity for increased grant funding because your narrative and your programmatic work is directly aligned with what you're doing in a thoughtful way, which will yep. make every grant writer smile. Yep. Uh, and also just the analytics side of me, like when we work with a client that comes in and has a clear plan, wow, is it easy to suddenly roll that into a Google Analytics 4 interface and dashboard? Like, hey, those are those numbers. Here it is there. What about right, for you? Right. What is what is tomorrow uh, being better than today for strategic planning? The value that I see beyond just the plan itself is by having that holistic and, and kind of participatory process, people get to know each other better. People who are new to the organization learn about the organization. It's a lot of times people are nervous if they have new board members coming on. How can they participate? Well, you fast forwarded that board member's understanding of the organization by them being involved. People get to talk to each other when I'm doing it, get to talk to each other across departments. And so they learn about other people's work. They get to have conversations that they've been having in the hallway and complaining to each other about. We get to bring it into the room and actually come up with some solutions. So those are all things that I think. And it's just, an, yeah, it's that investment in the uh, important but not urgent to really move yourself forward. I think that's a great point too. coming back to like my pushback on the six months that the journey is in part the destination when it comes to right. staff alignment, adoption of those goals, and then willingness to execute out on it. And to say like, oh, it's like my tiny mind being like, give me the document. When is it going to be done? You're like, you get what we're talking about is part of the destination because right. of right. what it will let the team see, what it will help with regard to board members who will then hopefully be stronger advocates for you. Exactly. See, see funding exactly. support, <laughs> chapter funding support. Yeah. Uh, so there's, I think that is a, that's a key takeaway. So thanks. Alrighty. As a part of my podcasting process, we always go into rap, usually go into rapid fire. Uh, and so today, hopefully, we can get through some of these, keep your responses to, I don't know, about 30 seconds. I say that. I never enforce it. Here we go. All right. What is one tech tool or website that you have started using in the past year? Uh, one called squadcast.fm, which is a tool like the one that we're in right now, uh, which is Riverside for doing remote interviewing for podcasting. What is one tech issue you are currently battling with? 
Oh, having all my systems talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming in the next year that has you the most excited? Uh, besides any time I get to see my grandson, I would say it's a big project that I'm working on with a couple colleagues. I'm also a part of a consultant collective called All In Consulting, and we do mm-hmm. DEI and, and, and strategy work. And this one is a really equity-centered strategic planning process and for a really interesting organization and has a bunch of different elements. We're also going to be looking at their theory of change and evaluation. So it's a really meaty project. So I'm looking forward to working on that. Can you talk about a mistake you made earlier in your career that shapes the way you do things now? Well, I think there's a lot of talk with consultants about speaking truth to power. And I think early on in my career, especially when I came into the nonprofit sector, I, you know, I was young and of course I knew everything then. So I was very eager to do this. And I think that uh, I think it's important to do so, but it's also important to be aware of the other person on the other end, how they can hear what you're saying, how you're giving feedback, and how you can be engaged in a conversation so that it's a constructive one instead of a call out or a blame, uh, which I might have uh, been guilty of earlier in my career. Do you believe nonprofits can successfully go out of business? I mean, if they're they're in the business of solving a particular um, societal problem, one would hope that they would go out of business. Uh, Of course, a lot of organizations are there to deliver a service that's perennial like education or healthcare. But uh, yeah, um, for the ones that are working on ending homelessness, hopefully they'll all go out of business soon because we'll have solved the problem. <laughs> you don't want to be clipped the wrong way on that one. Right? <laughs> because um, we've solved the problem, we don't, we don't want them to go yes. out of business otherwise. If I were to throw you in a hot tub time machine back to the start of your work, what advice would you give yourself? Don't burn bridges. You never, the the, the world is a lot smaller than you think. What is something you think you or your organization should stop doing? Not having answers to podcast questions. (laughs) Solid. Uh, If I gave you a magical wand to wave across the social impact sector, what would it do? I think it would make people think that strategic planning is fun and that it's not just about the retreat, that it's a process and it's worth investing in the process. How did you get your start in the social impact sector? I worked for a uh, company that helped people get on talk shows, but we dealt, we did it for all comers And then I decided if I'm going to do this kind of work, I want to do it for causes I believe in. And so that's when I shifted into the sector. What is the secret to getting on a talk show? Back then, it was we we had it was a magazine that basically was advertorial for people and they would go out. We sent it out to all the, the talk shows in the country. And it made them made it gave them basically like here are the here are the top five things that, that this person can talk to your audience about. Does it actually help getting on a talk show or is that kind of not a thing anymore? I'm sure it's not a publication anymore. I'm sure it's a website and I'm sure there are many more people. When when I was working for that organization back in the early 90s, it was it was probably one of a kind. I'm sure there are, and now it's all podcasting anyway. So yeah. uh, the, the, the industry has changed a lot since then, but we did get a lot of people on talk shows. 
It's <laughs> awesome. All right. What advice would you give college graduates looking to enter the sector? Pay attention to a lot of people talk about, you know, follow your passion when you come into the sector. But I would say that, but also pay attention to, you know, what, what, kind of work do you actually like to do? Because it's not just about the mission. I mean, obviously, the mission is important. But how do you want to contribute? What are your skills that you can bring? Um, and, you know, honing in on that. And that's when I actually got, I got realized that I was more focused on I like to help people with the how of work. And so that moved me into doing organization development, rather than I want to work for this particular cause. Mm. What advice did your parents give you that you either followed or didn't follow? The advice that my parents gave me. I was a little bit of a rebel, so I probably wasn't listening very much. So there you go. If, if I was following it, I was probably just being reactive and uh, not following. Uh, all right. How do people find you? How do people help you? So you can uh, definitely check out Mission Impact Podcast and then uh, find me at gracesocialsector.com. And... I love working with people in the nonprofit sector because it's just a good group and uh, love working with organizations that are with human centered missions and helping them be more effective in moving their mission forward. Brilliant. Well, thanks for your work and sharing some of those uh, pitfalls and upsides of strategic planning. All right. Well, thanks a lot, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 